Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Uh, This is an exciting morning. Uh, Chase Ifland has been serving with us on staff for the last several months, and many of you have gotten to know him over over those months. And this morning, we just have the privilege to hear him preach this morning. And so uh, we're just super stoked to have you, Chase, as a part of our body. And uh, I just want to invite you as a congregation just for a moment to pray over Chase and just to align our hearts as we're getting ready to listen to the word. And then I'll hand it over to you, brother. Thank you. Uh, Father, thank you so much for Chase and how he has served uh, Redemption Church so faithfully and so humbly over the last several months. Uh, Thank you for his family. Um, God, we as a church just posture our hearts in a way right now where we say we want to hear from you. Uh, So God, would you uh, speak to us as Chase delivers your word this morning? Would you calm his nerves and and just help him to feel unified in our body this morning as we seek you together? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm honored. I'm a little bit nervous, like Chris said, uh, to be able to preach the word this morning. I'm also glad to give Jeff a week off. He's been preaching every single Sunday or Thursdays, most of those, to a camera uh, for the past six months now. So uh, that's a a much-deserved week off for him. Um, Even though we're taking a break from our Life of David series this summer, we're going to get back into David a little bit this morning because we're going to be in Psalm 63, which is one of the Psalms that uh, David wrote. So if you want to get there in um, a Bible or on a smartphone, that's where we'll, where we'll be this morning. We don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm, but most likely it was when he was on the run from Saul, hiding out in the caves and isolated from family and friends, which we, we looked at back in the spring. And the reason why we think that's the case is because of the heading, which says a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah, or verse 9, which says, those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. And so, like I said, we don't know exactly when he wrote this psalm, but most likely it was when he was on the run from David, which we looked at back in the spring. And, and then, back then, we made the obvious connection between David's life in the caves and our current lives as we're isolated from family and friends, we're quarantined in our homes, and we're separated from the family of God, in a sense. And so maybe Psalm 63 is an especially applicable psalm for us in this current season, but in reality, it, it doesn't take a global pandemic for this to be an important psalm for us, because the truths that David talks about in Psalm 63 are applicable for all people at all times and at all places. The reason I say that is because we're going to see David say that he's seeking the Lord and he longs to know him more. And what Christian can't say that they want to know God more? We're going to see David praising God for what he's done in his life, and we can all point to the grace of God in our lives as well. We're going to see David reminding himself to be satisfied in God, and who doesn't need that reminder to be satisfied in God in a world that is constantly pulling us every single direction, crying out for our satisfaction. And then we're also going to see David resting in God, and we all need to learn to trust God more and to experience his peace more fully in our lives. So 
even if you're not a Christian this morning or, or you're not sure what you believe, this is also a really good text for you because we're gonna see how this life of seeking God for satisfaction is actually the only true life of satisfaction that's available. So let me read Psalm 63 for us and then we'll jump in. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So as I alluded to earlier, I think this passage is calling us to do four things. Seek God, praise God, be satisfied in God, and rest in God. So if you're a note taker, those will be the four points this morning as well. We'll start with, uh, with number one in verse one, seek God. David writes, O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. I think it's really easy to rush past that first phrase, the, oh God, you are my God, and get to those descriptive phrases of, I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. But I think that uh, that first phrase is actually really important because it sets the table for the entire psalm. The reason I say that is because this whole psalm is about how David is relating to God, but this first phrase tells us who God is. He's God. Yes, he's the all-powerful, infinite creator of the universe. That's what it means to be God. But he's not just God, he's also personal. David says, God, you are my God. God isn't just the creator and sustainer of the universe, but he is David's creator and sustainer as well. And I think the reason that David starts out the psalm this way is because he's reminding himself of that truth. In fact, all of Psalm 63 is really David preaching to himself that the God of the universe loves him and cares for him. I think this is really instructive for us because just because intellectually we believe in God or we call ourselves Christians doesn't mean that practically in the day-to-day -day grind of everyday life, we're living like it's true that God loves us. And just think about you know, little inconveniences that happen throughout your day or even big, big tragedies in our lives. Is your first instinct, like mine usually is, how can I fix this? How can I get out of this situation? Or is it like David here to say, God, you are my God. I know that you are sovereign over all things. I know that you care for me. And I know that that applies even to this difficult situation. David doesn't want to be in the caves fearing for his life, obviously, but he doesn't write this Psalm asking to get out of the situation. He just starts out by saying, God, you are my God. He knows that God is in control of what is happening, and even more than that, he knows that God has his best interests in mind. So because of this, what does David do? Well, he, he seeks after God. He writes, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
And again, remember the context for the psalm. David's in the wilderness. He's on the run. He doesn't have the comforts of home or peace or security. He's missing family and friends. He, he's both literally and figuratively in this dry and weary land that he, he writes about. But what does he say he wants? He wants you, the Lord, his God. I don't know about you, but I think if I were in David's place, my prayers would look more like I, I seek comfort or I thirst for water, or I'm fainting without food. But instead, David says, he wants God. Of course, he wants those things as well, but the the single most important thing he wants is to experience the presence of God in his life. Why is that? How can David say this? Well, the psalm doesn't explicitly tell us, but I think it's because David has had those things, and he knows that they don't ultimately satisfy him. David's had both the quiet life of the shepherd and the famous life of the war hero and future king. He's had the honor of being chosen by God to be king of the people. He's eaten the best food, had all the best wine to drink in the palace with Saul. Yet the thing that has satisfied David the most in his life is knowing God. When those things are stripped away, it's not those things that he wants back. It's the presence of God in his life. So is that, is that true for you this morning? We should look to David as an example here and seek God instead of the comforts of the world. But how do we do that? That's an easy thing to say, but how do we actually go about seeking God in a world that is constantly pulling and grabbing for our attention? Well, we have to be filling our minds with the truth about God and stirring our hearts to love him. Think about it. All, all day long, our hearts and minds are being pulled in every direction, and most of them are not towards God. We're being told to love our work because our jobs define us, and the more money you can make, the better. We're being told not to control any desires that you have because nobody or no thing has authority over you, so you should just do what you want. We're being told that the good life is having as much stuff as you can get, taking all the trips and the experiences you can have for as long as you can possibly do it, because this is all there is to the world. And it's a no wonder that that in this world that we live in, so many Christians don't look any different than their non-Christian friends or neighbors, because loving and obeying God takes hard work. We have to spend time daily reading the scriptures to remind ourselves of God's love for us and his commands to us. We have to spend time praying to remind ourselves that God is sovereign, he's in control of all things, and we're we're small in the grand scheme of things. We should spend time around the dinner table sharing about the grace of God in our lives and teaching our children to follow Jesus. And if we aren't doing these things, then the world around us is not neutral. It's not just content to let us stay on this path towards God. The world around us is pulling us away from God, and we need these gifts that God has given us to bring us back. Well, David brings out another way in which we seek God in verse 2 when he says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. It's interesting that David includes this line because he's writing from the wilderness, so he's, he's cut off from the sanctuary or the temple. He, he can't go there, but he remembers when he did go to the sanctuary of God, and he remembers seeking God there and beholding his power and glory. I think this is really instructive for us because David's been that shepherd and he's been the war hero and future king, and those are opposite ends of the spectrum, but what they both have in common is that they're, they're isolating. The life of the shepherd is isolating because you live on your own in the wilderness by yourself. And the life of the future king and war hero is isolating because there's nobody else like you. You're you're famous. But in spite of this, David would be 
It would make sense if David didn't want to go to the sanctuary. He didn't want to be around all these people that are so different from him. But he remembers going there with thousands of other worshipers to God's temple, and there he beheld God's power and glory. Of course, we don't worship in the temple today. Our worship would look a lot different than than David's did. We don't use animal sacrifices or anything like that. But I think the principle from this verse is the same. God's glory is best on display through his church. Here's what I mean by that. We, can, we think of all the examples of faithful Christian living that are enhanced by the church, or we can think of all the ways that we can't actually be obedient to God without the church. So first, there's the one another commands in the New Testament where the Bible calls us to love one another and bear with one another and honor one another. And it's quite literally impossible to obey God by doing those things if we're not around other brothers and sisters in Christ regularly in the local church. Or the, the more positive example is thinking about a, a young believer who's, who learns from an older Christian in a small group or kids on Sunday morning being taught about God. These things glorify God and display his glory to the world. And I think we know this principle to be true in other areas of our lives as well. I don't know about you, but I love college football, and I'm getting increasingly worried that we're not going to have a college football season this year. But if we do, I can be perfectly happy watching a college football game with nobody else, just at home by myself. But if I have family and friends there who are cheering for the same team, or better yet, if I'm at the game, then the experience is magnified, right? My best memories of college football games are not the ones that I watched by myself, but the ones that I watched with family or friends or that I was actually there in person. I think it's a similar thing at work with the church. You can sing a song at home in the quiet of your home, and God would be glorified by that. That would be a good thing to do. But when we join together as, as the church, as Christ's body, and, and worship God together, God is glorified in, in a different way. When church members have needs and others step up to help meet those needs, God's power is evident. Neither David nor the New Testament knows anything about this individual relationship with God that doesn't need other people that's just so common in our world today. So however you're able to in this season and and one day when we're all able to be safely together again, let me encourage you to seek the Lord in the local church. For some of you, that just means to keep doing what you're doing. Don't be discouraged when things don't go your way or people let you down. Keep pressing in, loving, and serving the church. Maybe for others of you, it's time to join a small group or, or start serving on a serve team. Or maybe you've been visiting different churches and, and it's time to become a member here at Redemption. Whatever your next step is, let's seek the Lord together through his church. So that was point number one, seek God. Now in verses three and four, Psalm 63 will encourage us to praise God. David writes, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Because David knows that knowing God is better than anything life life has to offer, he praises him. This is just natural for David. The the natural outflow of a heart that knows God is to praise God. 
And we certainly aren't always going to feel this way. If maybe we're in a, a really difficult season of life, maybe tragedy has, has struck in our life or we're dealing with severe depression or anxiety. And this, it's okay to not feel like praising God always. The Bible is filled with laments and people crying out to God, even people who are angry with God. Those are appropriate emotions um, to feel. But if that's not you this morning, if you're not in that, that dark place, when was the last time that you did feel like praising God. You're like lifting up your hands to him, as David does here. Well, in order to praise God, two things have to be true. The first thing is that you have to know that his steadfast love is better than life, like David says. And then two, you have to remind yourself that that's true. So if you don't feel like praising God this morning and you're not in a spiritually dark place right now, which one of those things are you lacking Let's take the first one first, and, and let me ask, have you ever really known God's steadfast love? It's a tragic reality that it's so easy to grow up in a Christian family and go to church every Sunday and know all the Bible stories, yet not know the love of God for you. If you've never felt like praising God or worshiping God or declaring his goodness to others around you, it's possible that you've actually never known God's love. And if that's true of you today, then, then God is waiting to lavish you with that love. The Christian life is not about checking off the box of going to church and reading your Bible and praying. It's about what God has done on your behalf in Christ. So if you are listening to that and thinking, well, maybe I have not ever known God's steadfast love, and we would love to talk with you after the service, or you could fill out a Connect card if you're watching online. But if you have known God's steadfast love, if you, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're still failing to praise God regularly, then the, the step for you is to re regularly remind yourself of God's love. That's what David's doing here. He's declaring that, that the love of God is better than life itself, and then his response is to praise God. So let me just encourage you that this morning to regularly remind yourself of God's love for you. Build, build in rhythms of your life and your day and your week and your months and your years that encourage you with God's love for you. One last bit of application on this section before we move on is that you can absolutely praise God and lift up your hands to God in the quiet of your home or with the prayers that you say or by talking about God with other people. But one of the best opportunities that we have to allow ourselves to worship God is through corporate singing, like we've done earlier. And trust me, it, it was really hard for me to sing earlier. We were talking back in the back that I have to trust them that they're not gonna turn this microphone on when we're singing because I am a horrible singer. But this time that we have together is so important because it's, it sets us aside space for us to worship God. We have a leader who can help us to do that well. And then we can even encourage others who aren't feeling like praising God on any given Sunday. So let's, let's worship God well as we sing together on Sunday mornings. So in verse one, verses 1 and 2, we saw that we should seek God. In verses 3 and 4, that we should praise God. Now in verses 5 and 7, Psalm 63 will encourage us to be satisfied in God. Look with me at verse 5. David says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. David's soul is satisfied in God. 
And we've already looked at the fact that David had known many different experiences in life and none of them had satisfied him like God had. But what I want to draw out from these verses is that this satisfaction in God is actually far better than any sense of worldly satisfaction. I think it's so common for the world around us, non-Christians, to look at Christians and think that Christianity is some sort of second-rate satisfaction. Like, if, if you can't be happy with the normal things that life offers, then use religion as therapy or have wishful thinking about heaven because your life isn't turning out the way that you wanted it to. But that's obviously not what David is saying here. David has known those incredible experiences. He's got the promise that one day he's going to be king. He's going to be out of this dark situation. Yet what he says most that he wants is to be satisfied with God, and being satisfied with God is like fat and rich food. David doesn't say that God's satisfaction is like a vegetable and a cracker that will just get him by until the comforts of the world come back. No, he says that God's satisfaction is true and lasting. It's like the steak and the potatoes. It's the best food there is. Well, well how, how can David say that? We actually have a more full picture than what David had. We're living 3,000 years after David, and David knew that he was part of the family of God. He knew about his sinfulness and that he needed something to atone for his sinfulness and bridge the gap between he and God. But he was looking forward to the Messiah. He was living in the time of, of waiting and longing for Israel. But we know the story of Jesus. We know that we don't rely on animal sacrifices to bridge the gap, but that we have God himself who came down to bridge the gap. That we have Jesus who lived that sinless life and died a sacrificial death and rose again to secure our eternal life. And David only knew about these things in part, but we know about them in full. And so you see, if there really is a God who created us to live forever with him and to know him, then knowing him would be the single most important thing in the world. If there isn't a God, then, then this Christianity is second-rate satisfaction. We should be going out and earning all the money we want and taking all the trips we can and just making the most of this short life that we have because that's all there is. And we would, as Paul says, we'd be the most pitiable people in the world if this wasn't true. But if it is, and hopefully you're here this morning because you, you do believe that there is a God who created all things, then even the best life satisfied by the world would lead, in ruin, would lead to ruin and disaster upon death and separation from God. And so to receive Jesus, to receive atonement for sin, to, to live a life walking with God is like being satisfied with fat and rich food. There's nothing better. Even if those worldly comforts and satisfactions were stripped away, the satisfaction of knowing God would remain. Here's something important about what David says about this satisfaction in verses 6 and 7 when he says, I remember you, and he's talking about God, I remember you upon my bed, meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. This is a really subtle point, but I think it's important. David is satisfied in both God himself and in what God does for him. We see that in the, in the way that he says he, he remembers and meditates on God, just God, nothing else. But then he says, you've been my help. I, I've sought refuge in the shadow of your wings. In other words, you've done great things for me. So David is satisfied in both just God himself and also what God has done for him. And here's why I think that's so important. It, it's so easy for us 
to just want to get things from God instead of getting God himself. It's so easy for us to, to use the church as a place where kids will learn good morals, and so of course we should come to church. Or we know that we've done some bad things in our lives, so we should probably get a little bit of God in our life so that we can counteract the good with the bad and balance those out. Or another common situation is the person who isn't a Christian or maybe is a Christian but isn't serious about their faith, and then tragedy strikes their life, and they pray and ask God, if you would just remove this, then, then I will follow you more fully. And let me be clear, I'm not saying that going to church or praying in times of tragedy are bad things. We, we should be doing those things. But the problem is, is that in these examples, the, the person wanted to get something from God instead of just getting God himself. And this so subtly creeps in. This isn't just out there. This is in here and in here. It's so easy for us to, to use God as a dispenser of salvation if we check the boxes and do what we should do. Or it's so easy to pick the church we go to based on what's most entertaining or most convenient. And these are just more examples of how we're using God as a consumer, trying to extract something from him instead of relating to God as, as that holy God that we sung about earlier. And I think that we are like this because our culture is training us to be so. Our culture is teaching us to be the best consumers we could possibly be. We can order anything from Amazon and have it the next day. We can spend endless amounts of time on Netflix with movie after movie and show after show. We can use our phone to order food from anywhere in the city and it would be delivered in a couple of minutes. There's, you could scroll through social media all day and just see new thing after new thing after new thing. And if we aren't careful, then we'll treat God the same way, just consuming what God could provide for us instead of coming to God for who he is. I think Jeremiah Burroughs really describes the right approach to this well. And he was a Puritan, so I'll warn you that the English is a little bit dated, but I think he gets the point across really well. He says, but mark how a godly heart goes beyond a carnal. And what he means by that is a Christian goes further than a non-Christian. All outward peace is not enough. I must have the peace of God. But suppose you have the peace of God. Will that not quiet you? No, I must have the God of peace. As the peace of God, so the God of peace. That is, I must enjoy that God who gives me the peace. I must have the cause as well as the effect. I must see from whence my peace comes and enjoy the fountain of my peace as well as the stream of my peace. And so in other mercies. Have I health from God? I must have the God of health to be my portion, or else I am not satisfied. It is not life, but the God of my life. It is not riches, but the God of those riches that I must have, the God of my preservation, as well as my preservation. And what Burroughs is saying is that it's not enough for Christians to get things from God, like peace, health, prosperity, or even salvation. Christians want God himself. And the wonderful thing about the gospel is that even if those things were stripped away, the, the peace and the health and the prosperity, the God of peace and the God of health would still be there and available for you. So let me just ask you before we move on, is your satisfaction in God or what God does for you? David was satisfied in both and, and it should be the same with us. So Psalm 63 has challenged us to seek God, to praise God, to be satisfied in God, and now lastly, we should rest in God. Look with me at verse eight. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. 
This is a pretty challenging psalm, but verse 8 has to be one of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture. David knows that he should seek God and praise God and be satisfied in God, but he also knows that he fails to do so over and over again. David just got done with seven verses of declaring the greatness of God and how much he trusts in God, but now he says, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. In other words, David is doing his absolute best to follow God, but he fully recognizes that ultimately it's God who's keeping him close. David clings, but without God holding tightly, he would always fall away at some point. And this is such good news for us this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus and you want to do these things, you want to seek God, you want to praise God, you want to be satisfied in God, but you find yourself failing to do so over and over again, be encouraged because God upholds you. No matter how good you are at clinging, there are going to be times when you let go, but God upholds you. David clings, but God upholds. It was never our clinging that brought us to God in the first place, and so it won't be our failing to cling that separates us from him either. Dane Ortland, who recently wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly that Jeff has now quoted two weeks in a row, and I'm going to quote this week, which probably tells you what we think of that book. Um, he says it like this, In order for you to fall short of loving embrace into the heart of Christ, both now and into eternity, Christ himself would have to be pulled down out of heaven and put back into the grave. For those united to him, the heart of Christ is not a rental. It is your new permanent residence. You are not a tenant. You are a child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and still waters of endless reassurances of his presence and comfort, whatever our present spiritual accomplishments. It is who he is. So if you are in Christ, if you've accepted the fact that your sins have separated you from God, but the blood of Christ has restored you to God, then nothing, no sin, no failure, no doubt can separate you from him. Ortland says that the only way that could happen is if Jesus was brought down from heaven and put back into the grave because he rose from the dead to guarantee that it wouldn't be so. We are clinging ever so fragilely, but God upholds us. And that truth should lead us to rest. There's no reason for us to beat ourselves up over every sin or pat ourselves on the back for every good work because even though God cares about both, one doesn't bring us to God and for those in Christ, the other doesn't separate us from God either. We are secure in God, so rest in him. Well, we aren't going to look at verses 9 through 11 in detail because those verses describe David's specific circumstances and we just don't have time to, to look at everything in this passage. But the principle is clear. David trusts that God will be with him and will deliver him from his enemies and we should trust God as well. This promise allows David to rest. And even though we don't have the same promise of David that we're going to be the future king or we're going to win any military battles, the promises that we have from God are actually even better because God has promised to work all things out for our good. He's promised to provide for us. He's promised to be with us always. As Jeff said last week, the Lord is by your side. And this truth allows us to rest. So we should seek God who is the creator of the universe, yet cares for us. We should praise him for what he's done in our lives, constantly reminding ourselves of his kindness towards us. We should be satisfied in God instead of the things of the world, knowing that only satisfaction in God is true and lasting satisfaction. And we should rest in God, because our good works don't bring us into good standing with him, 
And for those in Christ, our sins don't banish us from his presence either. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. Just pray that you would fill us by your spirit. Help us to seek you. Help us to want to praise you. Help us to be satisfied in you. We confess that life is hard and we don't always feel like doing this, but we just ask in your kindness and by your spirit that you would help us to do so. Give us rest for our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.